Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Nutrition Diva podcast. I'm your host, Monica Reinagel. And a listener recently wrote in with what I think is a very familiar dilemma. She and her husband were training for an endurance event. But as she increased the duration of her workouts, she noticed that her appetite was also increasing sharply. Even though I was eating more, I was still hungry all the time, she wrote. And so she experimented with the timing and the composition of her meals, but nothing seemed to help. And she started to get worried that despite all the extra exercise she was doing, she might end up gaining weight just because she was eating so much more. Well, joining me on today's podcast to talk about how exercise and endurance exercise in particular affects our appetite is Brock Armstrong. Brock, as you probably know, is host of the Get Fit Guide podcast. That's another podcast along with the Nutrition Diva that's part of the Quick and Dirty Tips Network. And Brock is also the co-host with me of a brand new podcast called Change Academy. But more to the point, Brock is himself an endurance athlete, which I most certainly am not. And he's coached hundreds of others through endurance sports and training. So I think he's the perfect person to help me answer this question. Welcome to the podcast, Brock. Thanks, Monica. It's great to be here. All right. First, maybe we should just start by defining some terms. So what do we mean when we say endurance exercise? Is there a definition for that? Well, there is, but the definition that actually goes along with endurance doesn't really fit what people's sort of perception of it is. And I think the the question asker here, when when she says they're training for an endurance sport, it's generally something long, like a marathon or a half marathon or an um, Ironman or a <laughs> ultra marathon or something like that. For the matter of this conversation, let's just focus on those sort of longer, slower efforts, not necessarily the shorter, quicker ones. So is that kind of exercising, those long duration, low to moderate intensity workouts, are they the best way to get fit? Well, you know, I always define fit as being able to move through the world and do the things that you want to be able to do with a certain amount of ease and and a certain amount of confidence. So 
endurance is definitely part of that, but it's not the whole picture. So it's not necessarily the best way to get fit, but it is a component of what I would consider to be fitness, along with things like flexibility, strength, having the the speed as well, those shorter, those shorter, higher intensity efforts. That all works in concert to really equal fitness in general. So it's a, it's definitely an aspect of it, but it's not the best way, the answer to becoming fit. So how does that type of training, these long duration efforts, how does that affect hunger levels? And I'm interested to know whether it has different effects in different time frames, like while you're exercising, maybe immediately afterwards, or maybe much later in the day. Have you observed uh, an effect there? Definitely, definitely. Um, and I guess let's start with during the exercise. So generally what happens when we start to exercise is uh, our blood circulatory system does things like moves our blood and focuses its energy on the muscles or the parts of our body that are being used currently. So that means your digestive system actually isn't that involved when you're going for a long run, let's say, or a long bike ride. So the blood flow actually moves preferentially to your to the muscles that are being used and sort of not to your stomach, for example. So you definitely, you don't necessarily feel hungry and you actually have an impaired ability to digest things when you're in the middle of a long effort like that. Now, after that's finished and that blood sort of returns to its more <laughs> regular scheduled program, it's uh, <laughs> then then you could feel an uptick in your hunger, or at least a return to your hunger, because your blood flow is, is then returning to di- your digestive system. And that's generally when people start to feel hungry. And that can happen within minutes of finishing uh, an exercise like that or a race or whatever it happens to be, or hours later. And that is very individual. I know athletes who are ravenous the minute they cross the finish line. I know other athletes that are actually kind of nauseous for a couple hours after after a race and you can't even show them food. It's a, it's a very individual thing. Well, is that uptick of hunger just merely a physiological response to the uptick in energy use? So your body registers the fact that you've burned a bunch of calories on this exercise, and so it's just going to get hungry to replace them, or is it more complicated than that? It's much more complicated than that, and I can't actually, (laughs) I can't claim to understand it myself because I'm not entirely sure that we do understand it completely um, in terms of sports science. There's hormones that are involved. There's the blood flow, as I mentioned that are involved. There's just genetic factors that are involved. There's so many different factors that come into play. And and some of it, I think, is habitualized as well. And this is something that I wanted to focus on during this conversation is that we tend to spend so much time thinking about the calories that we are burning when we're out for that run that I think a lot of the time we are so focused on replacing those calories or or refueling immediately after the, the the exercise or the race or whatever it happens to be that we do prioritize getting those calories in perhaps more than we need to. And that gets us just in the habit of feeling that extra hunger when we finish because we think we should be doing it rather than actually just experiencing the hunger as we would in uh, in a normal day. 
Yeah, I think it's possible even subconsciously that if we have exercised, we think we have earned more food or we deserve more food. And maybe that translates into feelings of being hungry or having the urge to eat. We have been sold a bit of a a message by the sport nutrition industry that we need to refuel and you, you have this window of time that you need to get the protein and the carbohydrates and stuff into your body. And a lot of that information is trickle down from the professional athletes who are in a whole different realm than we are. And and yeah, you're right. I think we do take that information and it gets, even if we're not thinking in the forefront of our brains, it is jumping around in the back of our brain and, and perhaps sparking some hunger that isn't necessarily there. Is it possible that the increase of hunger is exaggerated? In other words, we are stimulated to eat even more than we need in order to replace what we've just burned. I think that's definitely a phenomenon that happens when people first start to do these longer endurance sports. Mm-hmm. I've seen that a lot with people who are just, and like our question asker, when you're first increasing your distance, I think that kind of reaction does happen at a greater to a greater extent than it does to somebody who's been doing it for a longer time. And so I, I often tell my the clients that I coach then when they're expressing this same concern of like, I'm just so hungry and I'm eating way too much. And I'm afraid this is going to sabotage my efforts to either maintain a healthy weight or to achieve a healthy weight. I generally say, okay, well, don't panic. Just let your body sort of adjust to this new normal because we're taking you out of that homeostasis right now and increasing the volume and duration and um, sometimes the intensity of the workouts. And so your body's thrown for a bit of a loop. And that's where those hormones really come into play. There's two hormones in particular that I know you've talked about in the past, Monica, on on, um, Nutrition Diva podcast episodes. Uh, Ghrelin and leptin in particular are the two hormones that either signal hunger or shut down hunger. And they're thrown for a bit of a loop, especially when you first start these these longer efforts or even the more intense ones. So it sounds like that's a real phenomenon, but it may be very temporary that your body then adjusts. Yeah, that's been my experience watching uh, hundreds of athletes at this point in my coaching career go through a, a similar sort of thing that it's it's much more pronounced when you first start these kind of efforts and and dies off with time. Is there a difference between different styles of exercise? Are some kinds of exercise more likely to stimulate appetite or to a greater degree or others less likely to do that? I think I've seen somewhere that maybe high intensity interval training is less likely to stimulate the appetite. Is that true? Well, like all things, when you look into enough studies, you can find studies to support both sides of the coin. Mm. And actually, in preparation for today's conversation, I wanted to to have some studies to to back up what I was claiming. And I ran into that same problem where you find a study that says that long endurance sports actually suppress appetite, and then ones that say it sparks it more than the shorter, mm. higher intensity stuff. So and and then there are the studies that actually are i find a lot more meaningful where they're talking about the the fact that 
it really it depends on things like your gender, your your level of obesity, or or just your body mm. composition, um, your current fitness, the temperature that you're exercising in, the altitude that you're exercising at, the amount of hydration that you've had before, during, and after the the workout. Hydration can play a huge role in in hunger signals, especially after exercise. So there are just so many factors to take into consideration that I know it's really tempting to just be like, please tell me what kind of workout I can do mm-hmm. that's either going to suppress my hunger or or make me hungrier. <laughs> right. But the the truth is, is that it's a lot more nuanced than that. No magic exercise for us. I'm surprised. <laughs> <laughs> if, you're a, if you've been listening to Monica or my podcast for a while now, you probably are not surprised that we don't have a magic pill for you here. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu accreditation. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. So apart from just this issue of how hungry we feel and satisfying that hunger, can you talk just a little bit about how we need to eat in order to optimize our performance, in in other words, our athletic performance in this kind of long-duration sports? Is that kind of a before, during, after kind of a scenario? Is it really hard or is it not that complicated? You know, it's not really that complicated. We've been, again, the sports nutrition industry has really sort of given us this trickle-down information from the professional athletes who need to be very on top of all their fueling and refueling. And you know what? For the most part, for sort of mere mortals like us, who even if you're training for a, a marathon, let's say, the majority of the time, we just need to eat our next scheduled meal and maybe add a little bit of extra food if you've really put on, like generally when you're training for a marathon, you have one day a week that's a very long, like a long, slow distance run or the the endurance part of the training. On that day, you may want to add some extra food, but for the most part, it's it really comes down to not, not worrying about it too, too much. And um One thing that I can actually focus in on, though, is for these long, slow runs, for these endurance efforts that we're talking about here, 
popping those gels and those really sugary treats and and running with the the jelly beans and the gummies and the gels and everything and focusing on having those all the time can actually have a, can contribute to this problem that we're talking about can really spark the appetite and send you on that roller coaster ride of like high blood sugar low blood sugar high blood sugar low blood sugar which doesn't necessarily stop when you've finished that run it'll continue throughout the day so we have to remember that when we're doing these slower efforts, we're not actually needing as much carbohydrate to begin with, and then piling that extra carbohydrate in to our, into our system on top of that does set us up for some, some hunger later on in the day and, and that roller coaster ride of the high and low blood sugar. So what I would suggest is for those kinds of long efforts to not concentrate on getting a whole bunch of carbohydrate in, but just eat as you normally would. And maybe if you know you're going to get hungry during the run, if it's a long enough duration that you're going to potentially run out of fuel, which is a whole different aspect. We call it bonking. And -hmm. that's not just feeling hungry. That is a total shutdown. Um, If you are thinking that you're going to be hungry during the run, or you know from previous experience, taking some real food with you can actually be just fine. And a, and a lot more satisfying, like things like a handful of nuts or a banana. Or I know people who have cooked small baby potatoes and <laughs> put them in a little mm. Ziploc and carried them along with them. There's a, a number of real food choices that you can take on these kinds of runs. And by eating that normal type food, we don't set ourselves up for that extra hunger later on in the day that you do from the ultra refined sugary goop kind of stuff that, that a lot of people mm-hmm. take on their runs. Well, that's interesting distinction that you draw between feeling a little hungry during your run and technically bonking. I think a lot of us think that if we're starting to feel hungry, we are on the verge of <laughs> athletic mm-hmm. failure. And it sounds like, like, does feeling a little bit hungry impair performance? Is it possible just to kind of decide, I'll just run through that and I'll eat when I get to the end of my session? Or is that dangerous? That's not dangerous at all. And in fact, I know a lot of athletes that like, high level Olympic athletes that feel wrong if they, if they aren't a little bit hungry at the start line. Hmm. And the, there's a, an interesting thing called glycogen stores. We store glycogen or, or glucose or carbohydrate in our muscles and our liver at any given time. We've got at least 90 minutes of, and depending on the, the intensity of course, but 90 minutes is kind of a good ballpark of glycogen just ready to go, hidden away in in our muscles and our liver. And that can go a long way. When you're feeling hungry, it doesn't mean that you've run out of blood sugar, and it certainly doesn't mean that you've run out of glycogen, and it certainly doesn't mean that you've run out of fat stores as well, which do serve as a fuel source for, for any sort of movement, never mind the long, slow efforts. Well, I'm so glad that you made that point because I think that this is a confusion that people who are not endurance athletes have, that hunger is an emergency, that the feeling of hunger signals dangerously low blood sugar or any number of other catastrophic events. And it's it's in general not quite as big an emergency as many of us have come to think of it. No, when you've experienced a bonk, <laughs> then <laughs> you, you, tell will, the <laughs> you will really know the difference. But having said that, if you want to perform at your absolute best, like let's say it's race day, prioritizing getting some food in is, uh, is a good idea if you want to make sure that you're performing at your absolute best. I'm just saying that it's not, a, it's not an emergency and it's not going to actually ruin your workout if you're a little bit hungry. 
Sure. So I guess just to wrap this up, this was such a wide-ranging discussion. If you just love this kind of sport, this is just kind of what makes you tick, and this is the way you like to spend your time, but you find that it's overstimulating your appetite and, and you're struggling a little bit to manage your weight through this, what are just a couple of takeaways, a couple of tips that we can offer for people who like to do this kind of sport to help them avoid unwanted weight gain? I think you've given them all to us. Let's maybe just bring them back at the end and takeaways. Sure. Yeah. I think the first one would be to not worry about it right off the bat, that it will pass with time. Mm -hmm. I remember experiencing this myself like years ago when I restarted doing endurance sports and, and it faded again as it had in, in previous time. So don't panic, just do your best to, to manage it until, until your body sort of adjusts to the, the new normal. And the second thing would be to avoid those highly processed, sugary, kind of goopy things that uh, that we've been told we need to have every 20 minutes or whatever. That are marketed those. to athletes in particular. They are. And, and yeah. I'm not saying that they don't have a place, but in general, the like I said, the mere mortals in us that are just going out and having our, our long runs, we, can, we don't need those kinds of things on a regular basis. Oh, you mean I don't need two gel packs to take my dog out for a walk? <laughs> or a Gatorade for that matter, or a <laughs> monster drink, or okay. some water and maybe a handful of almonds would be the way that I'd suggest you go. Gotcha. And I guess the third thing would be to not get hung up on whatever your activity tracker is telling you in terms of the calories that you've burnt. Because a lot of those, a lot of that information, like I said, even if it's not in the forefront of your brain, it is sort of jumping around in the back of your brain saying, you should probably replace those calories. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you've, if you've, Go to my, if you go to the Get Fit Guy feed and you look for some of the information I've done about how smart is your smartwatch, you'll see that the calorie estimations in particular from these devices can be up to 90% inaccurate. Yikes. That's just putting on a blindfold and throwing darts at that point. That's not even, <laughs> that's not even an estimate. That's just craziness. So putting too much stock in either how much how many calories your activity tracker is telling you you burnt or how many calories your MyFitnessPal or your meal tracker is telling you you've taken in is just going to serve to make you more worried about this and probably cause you to, to eat more than you need to. So instead, focus on your actual hunger, focus on what how you're actually feeling. A little bit of grumble in your stomach, doesn't. it's not an emergency. It doesn't mean you need to get some carbohydrates and protein in you stat. Just wait until that next meal and and eat as you normally would and and play with it from there. And I guess as a final sort of caveat, please don't use exercise to burn calories and, <laughs> and promote weight loss. It is a very ineffective tool for that. It's a great way to support your weight loss efforts, but it's not a great way to... Like, like the great Tim Noakes, uh, Dr. Tim Noakes, Professor Tim Noakes says, if you have to exercise to maintain your body weight, your diet is wrong. Here, here. And that's um, a perfect segue for me. Uh, as many of you listening may be aware, 
In addition to his two podcasts, the Get Fit Guy and Change Academy, Brock is also the co-founder with me of the Way Less program. This is a group coaching program for sustainable weight loss without dieting. And some of the things that we've been talking about today are things that come up all the time in our program. But I wanted to mention that on June 28th, Brock and I are going to be hosting a free workshop together on the five shifts that lead to sustainable weight loss. And if you'd like to join that, and we can continue this conversation about exercise as well, you can sign up at wayless.life slash sustainable. That's wayless.life slash sustainable. Thanks so much for joining me, Brock. Yeah, thank you for having me. I hope I didn't confuse anybody too much. (laughs) We know where to find you if you did. Great. All right, everyone. The Nutrition Diva Show is produced by Nathan Sems, edited by Karen Hertzberg, and our team at Macmillan Audio also includes Emily Miller, Michelle Margulis, Morgan Ratner, and our director, Kathy Doyle. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great week. Mm -hmm.